What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome to Burn It All Down, the sport and feminism podcast that you need. Today, we've got Amira Rose Davis, professor of history, women's and gender and sexuality studies at Penn State, independent journalist Jessica Luther in Austin, and Lindsay Gibbs, wordsmith at Think Progress. I'm Brenda Elsie, professor of history at Hofstra University, but currently in Argentina Fulbrighting. This week, we're going to talk shamaturism in college athletics. Jessica talks about the upcoming baseball season, and we'll analyze the lead-up to the Men's World Cup in Russia. We'll also burn some awful things that happened in sports this week and celebrate some badass women's accomplishments. But before all that, Lindsay, I was following you on Twitter this week and picked up on your bad <laughs> dinner guest habits. <laughs> I picked up on some bad dinner <laughs> guest habits that you have. I take it you were invited to someone's house for a perfectly respectable meal and got all sports fancy on them. You want to talk about okay, what it was, happened? <laughs> it was in public at a Cuban restaurant. In public, actually. <laughs> uh, my friend's mom was in town really quickly. And, and this has been planned for like a month. And I remember checking the calendar because March is always, you know, there's a lot of sports stuff in March that I don't want to miss. Remember checking the calendar and thinking, oh, that Friday night is good because the women's NCAA tournament doesn't start until or their final four. They do Sunday, Tuesday, completely forgetting that the women now do Friday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday. And so I just messed that up. And all of a sudden, the women's final four was going on during this event. So you know what? It was really good games. And my friends love me and understand me. And there were enough people at the table to keep the conversation going. It wasn't all on me. It was a big group. So I just very shamelessly watched the actual video. We're not even talking following tweets. We're talking the actual video of the fourth quarter in overtime of the Mississippi State-Louisville game. And I have zero regrets. Wow, that's like a commercial. Well, yeah. Like you see those commercials of like fans and places watching and I'm like, that never happens. That is me all the time. So watch, I am so happy that Lindsay is this way as well. Yeah. Watch ESPN. Hit me up with your sponsorship you dollars. You know, <laughs> that's I'm right. here. That's right. Yeah. PSA to all of the all down co-host fans. We're not really paying attention to you when we go out. <laughs> <laughs> it was just if the game had been a blowout, I would have very quickly not paid attention. You know, like I would have abandoned my hopes very quickly and not paid attention. But it was so good, and I cared so you much just about described this. That before you just described that good as that game is good, but I bet you would describe it as a little more than that. What's your oh reaction, guys? Well, I mean, it was it was the most epic I think night of basketball like forget any qualifiers just to have two semifinals to the championship game on the line and both games go to overtime in thrilling fashion and one of the overtimes even went to the last shot which was Notre Dame's victory over UConn now by the time the our listeners are hearing this podcast we're already going to know the champion but if you want to go back and hear a play-by-play of this entire, the both semifinals, we did a special Patreon-only segment. I interviewed Erica Ayala, who is a good friend of the podcast, a fellow flamethrower, who was in Columbus, Ohio, watching these games. And so I interviewed her yesterday morning. We talked about broke down both of these games for 30 minutes and it was a blast. So please listen to that if you if you want to hear more about it. And y'all, didn't it feel so good after we talked about those trolls last yes. week? Yes. Who like, were like, you know, to be like, <laughs> in your face! Women's basketball rules! Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So good. I mean, it was amazing. Like, I actually also, Lindsay, I will admit that I had forgotten that it was Friday, Sunday. I think that's a good change. I'm excited that I get to watch the championship game tonight. But I had forgotten and I yesterday went back to to rewatch it on ESPN 
And I knew the outcome. And I was on the edge of my seat. Like, it was just phenomenal <laughs> basketball. It was phenomenal sport. I I kept being like, I know what happens. Because I had to keep reminding myself so I would <laughs> calm down. So I, it was wonderful. I have to say that this is like a good excuse to watch the game under your under the table on your phone because I was like at a family vacation in Disney World on like opening day of the NFL season one year and this is like a not an important thing at all and I was glued to my phone and then I ended up like passing everybody and giving them updates for their game and became like the favorite person of all the dads in Disney World who are very angry that they were on the teacups when they wanted to really be watching the game like I was. That's amazing. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on. So we've discussed during March Madness several times the issue of not paying the tremendous players during March Madness. And we've revisited this topic, but given this week, we think it's worth another go round. Jess, you want to start us off? Yeah. So this week, Katie Ledecky, the dominant American swimmer who won five medals, four of them gold at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. Uh, Ledecky announced that she is giving up her last two years of eligibility at Stanford. She's going to remain on campus. She'll train with her coach. She'll pursue her degree, but she was not going to compete for Stanford in swimming. She's going to sign with an agent and then pursue endorsements. She'll also be able to finally access her monthly USA swimming training stipend, which she's not allowed to do under NCAA rules. This actually follows in the foot steps of Missy Franklin, if you guys remember the other swimmer, uh, she turned pro in 2015 while still at Berkeley. So, but wait, isn't it only men who suffer under the NCAA's sham amateurism rules? You know, that belief dovetails nicely with the myth that it is the existence of women's sports that will destroy all sports if we start paying collegiate athletes <laughs> since <laughs> Title IX will demand that women get a little bit of money too. So this week, our own Lindsay Gibbs wrote a must-read piece at Think Progress that breaks all of this down. There's two parts of this that I want to quote, and then I'm going to throw this open to the group of so first, and this is Lindsay, quote, fundamentally ending in amateurism does not mean athletic departments will necessarily write fat checks to their athletes. Rather, the NCAA could adopt an amateurism model, which would allow student athletes to profit off of their likeness, work with sponsors directly, have an agent, get paid for appearances and other things that NCAA's ridiculous bylaws currently prohibit. And second, Lindsay writes, quote, for argument's sake, this is my favorite part, for argument's sake, let's pretend that ending amateurism does lead to a stricter implementation of Title Nine and athletic departments are required to pay female athletes one dollar for every dollar they pay male athletes. Well, okay, that's great. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Yay, Lindsay. Go off, Lindsay. So it doesn't actually seem that complicated to me. Universities figuring out some way to pay their players or allowing their players to get paid seems way easier to me than, say, players unionizing, which is an idea that people are floating. No matter what, I'm ready to lay to rest these misogynistic arguments that are used to prop up this racist system. So after this month of March Madness, which, you guys, produces something like $1 billion in revenue, do you all think that we're really any closer to ending pay for play? Are we going to be having the same discussion next March? Do you think Katie Ledecky is big enough to sort of move us into a different discussion? Where are you guys with this right now? Yeah, I I'm, think yeah, go, Amira. You go. <laughs> I think I'm super pessimistic, so maybe I shouldn't go. I, I mean, I think we will be having this conversation. I think that it's a system that enjoys this exploitation of, of labor, particularly black labor. I think that you're right, Title IX is used as a shield and, and people aren't having genuine conversations. They're just kind of wielding talking points and throwing out Title IX there and, and ideas about, you know, the same, this, the purity of the game to wield as shields against actually having a conversation about this. Like the purity of the game, like spare me that we have amateurism in part to deny the ability to sue for workers' compensation. Like that's literally where we get half of these laws. So I just I I think that it's going to take uh more to move this needle because we've been having these conversations for years and every time we I feel like we get to a point where like it, maybe this is the time that it will move the needle. We I swear we just did this like a month ago when we were thinking about all the programs caught up in in this money scheme or whatever the FBI it is. thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like when that happened, we were like, maybe this will be the end. And March Madness is rolling along merrily. Yeah. I mean, I tend to think 
that, as Jess said, this really isn't that complicated. Colleges and universities pay students all the time as workers. There's work-study programs. There's research assistants. There's all kinds of student employment. There's no reason that this couldn't be another version of that. So, so I, I, I kind of am shocked by that. And, and also, I mean, amateurism is so ridiculous as a reason, like as a value, as a moral value hmm. that people talk about in sports. The idea that, you know, the NCAA is dedicated to amateurism. Great. Then why doesn't an executive director work for free? How about that? How about you're all amateurs and not just the students? Why, why are the students supposed to be these paragons of moral values that it supposedly stem from amateurism, which is ridiculous, but all of these old white guys who run the whole show get paid $2 million a year? Like, if they love right. amateurism so much, give up your salaries. Linz, you want to weigh in here? <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> no, it's just, it's infuriating. I'm looking right now at an NCAA tweet from yesterday, I believe, from the at NCAA Twitter account that literally says, what would happen if NCAA schools started paying men's basketball and football players? Question mark. Other sports would be eliminated, period. And then there's a there's a video of an interview between a journalist and Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA. So that propaganda is still being put out there by the NCAA itself. And, you know, I will admit that the Title IX argument for me, it did scare me for a while because I think that. It is women's sports are so important and Title IX has been so good for, you know, women's sports. And I'm not a fool. Like I do know that the biggest revenue sports are right now men's basketball and football, which women do not participate in for the most part. So, you know, that that was a little scary. But when I really sat down to look at it for this article, it just became it was my mind was just blown at how no, no, we can do this. <laughs> this. This can happen. You know, first of all, as I say clearly uh, in the piece, you know, ending this sham of you can't at all profit off of your likeness. You can't make any money because you're a basketball player or a lacrosse player, period, while you're still the in the NCAA level. Like that hurts literally everyone. And I feel like it especially hurts women because women don't have as many professional opportunities as men do in sports. So, like, of course, the men's tournament on CBS right now makes a lot more money than the women's tournament. But there are still millions of people tuned into this women's tournament on ESPN. And there are probably going to be 50 to 60,000 people in or or about 50,000, I think, fans in Columbus this weekend to watch these players. And they're going to be stars. And the fact that they can't immediately profit off of this in any way is infuriating, especially when you consider that the WNBA only has a dozen teams. And so few of them are going to be able to turn pro. So it's just it's infuriating. And look, the thing is, everyone brings up these scare tactics. Well, how are Division three schools going to do this? Well, maybe the rule exempts Division three students from, you know, Division three schools from this. Maybe that's not realistic. Maybe an NCAA stipend of salary cap goes to the top 73 schools in the Power Five conferences, and they get to figure out what to do with that money. But the answer is whatever they spend on men's sports, they have to spend on women's sports. But everybody is working with the same rules and the same salary cap. Or it's just fully a free market. There are just so many options here. And there are, of course, pros and cons to any of them. But the answer isn't this is impossible because of women. The truth is these rules hurt women too. And it's, I just, I'm just really sick of this myth. Division three doesn't even give college scholarships for sports. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't. So when they bring that up, I'm always like, what are you talking about? Amira? Sorry. Weigh in. No. Yeah. Well, the other thing about it is that the title nine thing also doesn't often gets wielded by people who have absolutely no concern with women's sports whatsoever. Right. And right. Just, <laughs> yeah. just using it <laughs> at that moment. But I think on this line uh, that Lindsay brought up about how it harms women athletes, I think the other p- realm of this conversation is about people pre-college who become notable athletes, particularly women in gymnastics, for instance, which 
as Olympians, oftentimes they're teenagers. And I think also of Monet Davis. And in both of these situations, their really chance to capitalize on themselves occurred before they would go to college and they turned professional or in, in the case of gymnasts, turned professional oftentimes foregoing uh, a collegiate experience that they really want to have. My daughter was watching the Simone Biles story and they have this scene where she's like agonizing over getting a collegiate experience that she really wanted to go to college and be on that team or turning professional. And I think that I think about Monet Davis to think about the other ways this can harm. For instance, when Monet Davis was getting all this notoriety because she was pitching lights out at the Little League World Series, Little League was building off of her her image to revive a league that was in decline. It Her face on Sports Illustrated and Disney Channel making a movie about her, Spike Lee putting her in a car commercial, all of these things generated not only more women, more girls playing in the Little League, more African-Americans joining the Little League, compensation for all of these people who were using her image, all of this stuff, all of this money, you could buy something on eBay that she had signed for thousands of dollars and she couldn't touch any of it because she had dreams of paying college basketball. And so there's ways that she was, you know, people were definitely betting on her like this, but because of amateurism years into her future, right? It held her kind of pat in terms of what she was able to make in a moment where she was everywhere. And so I think about, you know, the sham, shamaturism really hurting women, but also hurting girls who are coming into sports that we know have less teams, less professional opportunities, needing to go overseas to continue to get compensated. And when they do have the opportunity to make money before that, whether it's in college, or as teenagers, oftentimes these same rules are preventing them from doing that. Yeah, that is such a good point, Amira. And to your first point about how people who are using Title IX as this weapon in this fight don't really care about women's sports, this is a line that didn't make it into the piece because I don't know uh, how familiar the general non-sports audience is with this. But I was, I just keep saying the what about Title IX has become like the what about Hope Solo of this conversation. Like yeah. people who really don't care about these situations at all and are just utilizing it to try and just stop the conversation in its track who don't want to actually have a nuanced conversation about gender and, you know, power and patriarchy. But this is that's a really smart point, you know, and I honestly hadn't thought that much about how much players like Monet Davis and uh, other, you know, I see a lot of this happen with rising tennis stars a lot too. It's just horrible. Yeah, and think about Monet Davis. There's like a whole thing where Gino Ariema like reached out to her after she said something about wanting to play for the Huskies. And then there was immediately there were talk of like an NCAA investigation to see if they had broken a rule by reaching out to her before they were, you know, it's just like, holy moly. And it was just because she had (laughs) had said that she was interested. But there was also this moment last night on the men's in the men's semifinal where they were talking about a player who was from Nigeria and his mom had come to the game. I can't remember. I think he was on Kansas and they were saying that he hadn't seen her in six years because it's so expensive for them to travel back and forth. And they made a passing comment about how the NCAA used to allow for programs to pay for those parents tickets to come. And then they changed the rule and the commentator made a joke like, well, they probably didn't understand how expensive those flights were going to be. And I was like, who are you people that you are so disassociated from the humanity of these players and from the ridiculous money pile that the NCAA is sitting on or these programs are sitting on that like you could hear the story. You could tell us the story of this of this young man who hasn't seen his mother in six years so he could pursue this career, make this money for a massive program, you know, and and then make a joke. That and you can't buy a plane ticket? You can't buy ticket? a plane ticket as if like they don't have the money for it. And I just got so sad in that moment to think about, you know, there are more and more we're seeing players from around the world coming to play ball in this country. And beyond around the world. I know kids, you know, who who can't get their parents from Texas to to yeah, Louisville, exactly, yes. you know, for absolutely. Game. It was just so and it was so crass that that was coming from this commentator as a joke that this is a joke to the to, to people. Right. Jeez. But I will say that they are now, there is a stipend by the NCAA because there have been recent reforms. And that is actually what they used to pay for this trip this time was a, uh, the NCAA allows $3,000 to go towards travel for these athletes at this point. That's good. Um, so that is a step in the right direction along with, you know, unlimited food from the food halls or whatever that 
new rule was <laughs> wow. <laughs> that happened after the players said that they were actually going hungry. Cool, cool. But I just, my last point here is if the worst, first of all, Title IX, the rule, the, the Title IX guidelines can be looked at to say that this doesn't actually apply to salaries. And that's how there's there is currently such a discrepancy between salaries for men's coaches versus salaries for coaches of women's teams. And so all of this fear mongering about one for one dollars that's going into this, it, it, it might not even apply legally at all anyways. You know, there might be able to be a, a proportional thing. And I know I would be okay with that. Like we could figure out something that seemed fair based on revenue. But if that the law was interpreted one for one, like Jess said at the beginning of this, I say, let's do that. Women's sports consistently gets trapped in this chicken versus egg. You know, is it the investment or is it the interest? Well, let's force these athletic departments to invest more in the women. And let's see if they are not a bit more motivated to push out these athletes, push out these sports try to make these teams successful and try and get their investment back. We've seen recently in women's basketball schools like South Carolina and Mississippi State go from having no history, no big programs there to all of a sudden filling the arena almost every time and having these star athletes and making it to the big stages. It's because they have, they got these great coaches, they invested money in these great coaches, and they the department started going from there and started pushing to get more fans and fans and interest and success. It's all tied together. So I think even this worst case scenario of, you know, the one for one dollar ends up being a great situation for women's sports. And I think these uh, athletic departments would find it much easier to recoup their money if they just put in a little bit of effort. (laughs) And they've never really cared about recouping their money if it's men's sports. By the way, they're perfectly happy to lose money like University of New Mexico. One thing that's almost never on the table, just to wrap it up, is one more idea is that women and men actually unionize together as student athletes. And there's there's no reason that that can't happen. In fact, the National Labor Relations Board already said that student athletes qualify as employees of the university. They just use their own dirty discretion not to take up the case when it was Northwestern. So, uh, you know, one hopeful kind of beacon is that these are still students. They they actually have a ton of collective action ideals and they're into teamwork. <laughs> and there's a possibility that they could unionize together. There's no reason to assume that it has to be just, you know, one sport at one college or anything like that. That If we're being creative, we could think big, like Lindsay said. Okay, great. That was a really interesting discussion and one I'm sure we'll come back to. I'm excited to welcome Rhea Butcher to Burn It All Down. They are not only a stand-up comedian, check them out on the HBO special Two Dope Queens, and star of the show Take My Wife, which you should immediately download for iTunes, but Rhea is also the host of a new podcast, Three Swings. It's all baseball, all the time, and even for a non-baseball person like me, it's a lovely listen each week. Rhea is charming and funny and so knowledgeable about baseball. We are thrilled to have them here. Welcome to Burn It All Down, Rhea Butcher. Oh my God, Jessica Lucas, thank you so much for having me. This is such a dream. Yay. Uh, So you're currently on tour, yes? Where are you right now? I am right now. I'm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. All right. Home of the Barnstormers. (laughs) Oh, that's a great name. It's a great name for sure. Their season doesn't start until May, so I'm going to swing by the stadium on my way out, but I just did a show here. It's a lovely little town. I recommend it if you're on this side of the country to check it out. They've got a lot of, you know, sort of reclaimed spaces that are now, um, you know, coffee shops, yoga stuff, but very cool little spot. Cool. Nice. So you're on this week because last week was the start of the baseball season. Yes. I'm going to start with a super easy question. What are your hopes and dreams for this season, Rhea? Like, what are you looking forward to at this point? Like looking forward across, I don't know, how many games did baseball do? Hundreds, it feels like. 162. All right. So you have 160 plus games to go. What are you looking forward to? Well, let's see. I mean, I'm looking forward to, well, number one, I feel like 
the popularity of baseball has upticked a lot in the past couple seasons, and this season is no exception. And I would say that I'm personally responsible for that. Oh, so good. I'm Thank already you. pretty excited about the fact that people are just generally more into baseball than they were before. And I will take credit for all of it. Uh, so my MLB <laughs> checks should be coming in the mail any minute now. I'm sure that they're going to start paying me for that. Something that I'm looking forward to is surprises because I think that I was going into this season with the same kind of belief system that everybody was kind of on board with, which is like, okay, nationals, Yankees, Cubs, you know, like (laughs) Cleveland, like all these sort of non-competitive divisions, which are happening because if you're not like following baseball very specifically, like a lot of teams are purposely tanking. They're kind of doing what the Houston Astros did in, you know, the like four or five years ago, generally speaking, okay. uh, just knew that they were going to be in for a couple bad seasons and just like building their farm system up. But it's kind of across the board. And I think it's not necessarily great for baseball. It's not great for any sport for like seven or eight teams to be like, yeah, we don't care about winning right? <laughs> because they want to keep their like cost down or whatever. But what I do think is already a, a, a surprise that is evident is how competitive the White Sox are in the Central Division. And that is a team that I've been consistently saying, like, uh, they're the Chicago White Sox and they're in the American Central League. And everyone just thinks Cleveland is going to run away with it. I still think that holds true. But everyone has been saying, like, it's Cleveland and then maybe the Twins. And, like, I just don't think that that's actually true. Okay. I think the White Sox are going to win a lot more games. And if they don't win a lot of games, then they will at least like be losing with a lot of runs, <laughs> which is still, which is still an exciting way to watch a baseball game. You know, they don't really have the rotation that's going to, they don't, they don't have the full picture. This Matt Davidson that just came up, who's had some like strikeout issues over the seasons. I mean, he hit four home runs on opening day. And that Whoa. hasn't happened since, I believe, the 60s. I, don't, I didn't write down the thing. So if I got the date wrong, don't yell at me at your desk. Don't. Or do it if you need to get some energy out. But I understand. Some, I don't like to take notes. I like to just talk about baseball off the top of my brain because I feel like that's the most fun way to talk about it. But sometimes it gets me in trouble because I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the things written down. So I think it's really just that in general. Like people sort of going, well, it's going to be the Astros. It's going to be the Dodgers. Like, I think this weekend has already proved. I'm not sure that it's just going to be the Dodgers because <laughs> I, I wasn't really going into the season thinking they were going to have the same season that they did last year. My belief is that it's going to be a lot different than everyone's anticipating. So uh, on Burn It All Down, we often talk about the intersection of sports and culture in particular. And I feel like one thing I don't know a lot about in baseball, and I was hoping to ask you about are maybe specific storylines that you pay attention to. Like we talk a lot about athlete activism and we shouldn't expect any of that in baseball, right? Like what's the, what kind of storylines like that do should we be well, looking for with baseball this season? I mean, I think it has the potential to happen this year in terms of on-field activism. I'm not holding my breath, though. Okay. It, it is, you know, base. it's silly of me to say baseball is really Republican. Like, <laughs> hockey, football, and baseball are all very Republican. And the yes. NBA is, like, the least Republican out of all of them in terms of, <laughs> like, the owners of the team are Republicans. And, like, I'm not... I'm I'm not like starting a fight here. It's just like they're very openly Republican, right? <laughs> like donating to the GOP and stuff. So it is it is a sport that has hesitated to do to for players to participate in activism other than simply existing. So that is how I'm describing, you know, Jackie Robinson's mm. activism of playing the sport. You know what I mean? Right. And I recently if you're if you're a fan of Jackie Robinson or just the the storyline of Jackie Robinson, I highly recommend reading his autobiography because I think uh, similar to someone like Mar- Martin Luther King, we have just sort of really simplified the story over history to sort of I think make ourselves feel better and to realize like what Jackie Robinson actually went through and actually wanted to do and what what he continued to do when he stopped playing baseball and also mm-hmm. the fact that he died like in his 60s and i i mean a hundred percent that's because of what he had to deal with in his life the like actual violence of dealing with people who didn't want him to play a sport you know what i mean and so i think that baseball is one of those sports where it's this sort of quiet activism but i do a player that has been very vocal who i like a lot is adam jones the center fielder for the baltimore orioles he also last season was 
like in Boston, a bunch of people just started calling him the N word and like other slurs and stuff. And it was like a big deal and he didn't back down about it. So I think that these things are going to continue to happen. Also another storyline that I want to point out that is from last season, but I think it's important to talk about Kevin Pillar, who's a center fielder for the Toronto Blue Jays, who last night just stole second, third and home in the same inning. Whoa. which has never happened for that franchise. It's also, you know, speaking of Jackie Robinson, like people don't really steal home very often. And I highly recommend if you're not even a baseball fan, just watching that sequence of events, it's it's wild. Because that sort of like, talking about the pitcher showdowns, he like got in the pitcher's head and just, it was like a head-to-head thing and he won. And wow. it's just, that's those are the kinds of things that I love about baseball. It's like not always hitting a home run. It's not always these like big showboaty kind of fun things that we all love to see a home run that leaves the stadium or hits a thing or somebody catches or whatever. But also just like stealing bases is also really fun to see somebody do that sort of strategy. <laughs> and it's like a, it's like an arm wrestling match, you know, like who's going to get the upper hand. So Kevin right. Pillar last season, now I'm trying to remember the exact context context he can't remember I, I literally cannot remember the context of how it happened but something happened on the field and he used a gay slur the one that you're probably thinking oh, about right, and everyone okay. saw it everyone heard it and it was a big deal and then he was you know reprimanded by whatever MLB rules or whatever and you know handed down a fine and then given like you know community service or whatever and I will say that while I don't have his quote pulled up here or anything like that. He did sort of apologize in the like, well, I'm sorry if I offended you kind of thing. But I do think he genuinely was trying to work out publicly instead of privately. He didn't come out with some press release or something. He was just saying like, yeah, it was the moment. I shouldn't have said what I said. I understand this. You know, I do want to actually take a moment and say like, I'm grateful that someone's trying It sucks that Mm. these words are in our brains and that's the first thing we go to when we're mad. That's to me the problem, you know, like we need to reconsider why we use words instead of just saying like, shit, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) you just say something that doesn't have anything to do with anyone's, you know, who they are or whatever. But at the same time, like it's much better than when issues happen and then people are just like, he's paid his fine, let him go. You know, it's like, I much prefer someone trying to apologize and trying to admit they were wrong and understand what they did and then try not to like hold that grudge. I'm not like some huge fan of the guy. I'm, I'm saying like the play that he did was cool. I'm not like a big Kevin Pillar fan, now, but right. like, cause I feel like, well, you said that and I don't really like you for that, but I don't think you can just always be mad at people and never, you know, get over the hump of like, well, they did try the thing, you know? Yeah. But personally, my biggest difficulty with baseball is its issue with domestic violence. And it has like just a really serious domestic violence problem that they're really not doing much to fix. They really seem to be creating just even more of an apparatus to like sweep it under the rug. And I mean, if you get caught on PEDs, you're suspended for 80 days. And if you are, if, if you commit domestic violence, you get a 15 day suspension. And right. I think that sends a pretty specific message. And I think the MLB needs to realize that they have a lot of kids watching girls and boys and gender nonconforming kids. And I think that when you say it's much worse to take steroids than it is to hurt someone, <laughs> I think that's setting a bad precedent for the children that are watching. I watch baseball and love baseball with the darkness in my heart that is ever present with everything that we love. And I try to raise awareness for those things. And like in the World Series, when Aroldis Chapman was pitching, I was happy to see some Cubs fans donating money to like, you know, domestic violence shelters and stuff like that. But I do really think that at least because it comes back to the sort of like they get caught with this thing, the charges go away, so they don't get suspended. And then they have a press re- or, or like a, a press junket or, or whatever. And they're like, it went away. Wow, leave them alone. And it's like, I don't understand why you just can't have the conversation that like, this was a bad thing that happened. I'm not proud of what I've done. I'm seeking treatment. I'm looking, you know, you shouldn't do these right. things. I know I was wrong because there are leaders and entertainers and kids are watching this. And when kids see like, yeah, he's fine. 
that just perpetuates the whole thing. No, I, and I totally agree. One thing, because I end up talking about gendered violence a lot and with sport, and one thing I always point out is it's over for whom? Right, you know, exactly. Like, there are longstanding things that often happen to the victims of this violence. So to say it's over is always a very privileged position to begin with. Well, Absolutely. this is all perfect. Thank you so much, Rhea, for joining us on Burn It All oh, Down. It was a real good. pleasure. And, and enjoy your baseball season. Yay, you too, as much as you participate in it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. We don't have much time left before the Men's World Cup in Russia 2018. Linz, can you give us an update a little bit on what's going on? Yeah, well, having the World Cup in Russia is going just about as well as you might imagine it's going. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't been keeping up with the latest World Cup news, you might have been hearing about Russia in the news lately because of a nerve agent attack on a former Russian spy in Britain that the British government and pretty much everyone has blamed on Moscow. This has led to countries all across the world, including the United States, expelling Russian diplomats from its from their borders, even the United States expelled, I believe, 60 Russian diplomats. Of course, the United States doesn't have to worry about its World Cup decision. (laughs) (laughs) Sob, 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 sob. (laughs) Self-burn, self-burn. But, however, there are a lot of countries who do. So, Britain... England, however, United Kingdom (laughs) announced, Theresa May said that there could be other actions taken against the World Cup. She floated the idea of a possible World Cup boycott. Now, they have walked that back. Boris Johnson walked that back this week. However, Britain is doing a diplomat boycott. So, no UK diplomats will be going to Russia for the the World Cup. And Iceland has also followed that lead. So Iceland will not be sending its diplomats to the World Cup in Russia either. Australia announced that it could be considering a boycott of the World Cup as well. For for the players I'm talking about, because of if Russia doesn't clean up its act, and if there is further action, such as, you know, nerve gas poisonings, nerve agent attacks, you know, Cool stuff like that. So in other words, this has just turned into a really big mess. We are less than a little bit more than two months away from the World Cup kicking out. And there are a lot of reasons to be concerned. So my first question for you guys, we're going to get into many other things that have to do with the World Cup after this. But the first question is, do you guys think there's actually going to be any team that ends up boycotting this World Cup? No. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. That's my, yeah. That's my gut. My long no, answer I is no. I don't think okay. so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. It's really okay. it's really hard for me to imagine that at this point. It's such a huge deal for countries to participate that I don't I don't even know like would teams go along with it if the government told them to? I don't know. It is an interesting thought. And the thing is if they did something like that, then the the federation would be banned for a very very long time. It wouldn't it wouldn't just be like oh. this go around. FIFA would would probably put one of the longest and harshest bans on that federation from any international play. And that could be like, that could be five years, six years. So it wouldn't just be this World Cup. They would be out of the next one for sure. I think like given its track record of threats and things like that, I I couldn't foresee it, you know, letting a federation do that and then come back to qualify for the next one. So I think because that's their whole politics thing, which is hilarious and ridiculous that no politics in sports and they use it to, you know, basically keep their authoritarian reign on the entire sport. So I I think that the stakes would be really high for the following World Cup, um, which is, of course, another human rights horror story. Uh, (laughs) But I, I think that will keep them from doing it. I think if England's not doing it and they're the country most in it, then you know, I'm not sure anyone else would. No, th- I think that makes perfect sense. But there are a lot of other reasons to be <laughs> yeah. concerned about the action at the World totally. Cup. <laughs> uh, what was the 
There was yet another act of racism this week to add to the long list. Yeah, yeah. Russia is the story that keeps on giving when it comes to all kinds of different homophobic, racist, sexist types of football violence. Yeah, this week, Fairnet, you know, Piara Power, who's a a friend of the the show and, and has, you know, different kinds of NGO work in football and racism, urged FIFA to go and investigate what happened last week in St. Petersburg when there was a monkey chant that was directed at black French players during a friendly, became very unfriendly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, France won three to one and it's Paul Pogba, who I have to say has suffered racial abuse his entire career. So it's just heartbreaking to see it once again. There was also blackface and other types of awful racist actions during the Confederation Cups in Russia. So there's pretty much every reason to believe that racism, homophobia and misogyny will be will have really a huge platform in in Russia. It's pretty frightening. Yeah, especially, you know, on the when homophobia, like homophobic violence is a real issue yeah fifa in, told people in russia and not just, to go that maybe that gay people should just yeah. protect themselves and not go like what is what's that that's a thing that's Jesus. a thing an international oh organization could be like well for your own safety it's just better if you stay home yeah and then add on to it this like you know ongoing issue of racism i just i don't even know it's gonna be a mess i mean you know the soccer will probably be pretty but the everything around it's gonna be a big mess yeah, it, it, even when the soccer is pretty, I mean, you also just you feel so awful because so much of the prettiness comes from players of color who are subject to this and how many gay players who who won't ever come out because they just sort of allow this type of stuff. The friendlies have been crazy. I mean, the friendlies are just wild to talk about the actual stuff on the on the field. Have have any of you gotten a chance? I know March Madness makes it difficult, but have any of you seen any of the friendlies at all? Also, being in America makes it difficult. <laughs> yeah. We have such a terrible, <laughs> we have such a terrible soccer fan culture here. I didn't. I, I'm, I know. It's like, it, and especially I, because everybody's just ignoring that the World Cup's going to happen since the United States is not fielding a team for the first time since 1986. Yeah, it does feel like that. So, what's been going on, Brenda? Tell us about the wildness. Well, I mean, you know, I one of the things that always depresses me is I always wish that U.S. journalists would just get on board and realize that like a third of the population is Mexican-American <laughs> or some some heritage and just say, hey, we have another team at the World Cup. But I know that's like way not going to happen ever. But it would be awesome if, you know, mainstream journalists just said, you know what, there's a whole whole bunch of people in the U.S. that also belong to this other national team and we could just adopt it as a second national team, right? Go Mexico. But it, it, never, it never happens. But I'm always like, why doesn't it happen? You know, when Argentina isn't rooting for Argentina, it usually breaks for Italy because there's so many immigrants. Oh, interesting. Well, oh. precisely, because I always think about World Cup you know my friend Sarah and her family always roots for Iran, and we, you know, it's that's that's we're a nation of immigrants supposedly, and so you know it shouldn't be surprising that there's other vested rooting interests that that do exist in this country. Yeah, like we could still make it fun if we weren't so provincial, but we're just not gonna. This is not no, we're gonna be uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> uh <laughs> what's been? I mean, what's been going on? I mean, basically, Argentina suffered its worst ever defeat um, in Europe, or at least since like. I, yeah, it was real bad. And being here in Argentina, it just they just keep replaying it to hurt themselves. Aww. I have no idea. Like you'll be, a, I know it's, it's like it's like the don't cry for me, Argentina. Just I keep wanting to sing it every time I go to lunch because it's just like they just sit there and watch it in restaurants. They just watch themselves lose over That's and so over. Sad. <laughs> was it a bad loss like the score or bad loss like last minute dagger to the heart? The score, it was 6-1 of of a loss against Spain. Yeah, real bad. So, of course, it kicks up all this colonization feelings. And, you know, again, Spanish immigrants, uh, about about a third of Argentina could probably apply for a Spanish passport, about a third from Italy. So um, so it's especially painful in some ways. But, yeah, I just can't believe it. I mean, everywhere you go, they just replay this awful game. (laughs) 
Brazil got, I know, it's like, it's, I kind of like, it's, it's sort of heartwarming. It makes you sort of love them as fans that they're just sort of, you know, hanging their head and like so looking emo. down. You know, it's and, so emo. Oh my God. <laughs> it is. I can mess it. And can Messi possibly save the, them from everything? I mean, it's 11 players. I don't think he can sort of fly in. They're saving him, of course, because if he got injured, what would, you know, God forbid. So it's been interesting. Brazil is looking so good. Beat Germany 1-0 without Neymar. So that's that That was an amazing matchup because they're generally considered number one and two. So that was, that was the one that I was watching too and, and pretty impressive. And then... Here, I don't know if you guys have seen the, if you all have seen the Panini sticker books. No, uh, do I don't even know what that know, is. Like I'm the only sticker freak. Okay. okay, so they're a huge thing. They're a huge thing throughout the world. They're, they're these sticker books that you get and you get a certain amount of stickers where you put players' faces, like baseball cards, into all the national teams and you collect the stickers and then your book, you try to get all filled okay. up. It's it's little kids do it all over the world. So it's a big deal when these books came out and they came out last week. And the amazing thing just about the commodification of the World Cup is that a math professor went and figured out how much it actually costs to fill up your Panini book. And it's about $800. Whoa. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's like this never-ending commercialism, right? And and what they do, what kids do, they actually have this underground practice of trading. So if you were to go and do it on your own, it would be like 800 bucks. But all these kids do it in school, and it's adorable. They're doing it in schools here. And it cuts the cost down to about $200 to Whoa. fill up your panini book. But still, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable commodification it just gets you going because you've almost got it happened to me with the last women's world cup i had my panini sticker book and i kept not getting the cards that i wanted so i kept buying packs you know (laughs) (laughs) just to fill it up so it's like this crazy thing can we go back are you Mm -hmm. saying panini like a press sandwich (laughs) panini it's yes it's like a press sandwich but it's a company that comes out with sticker books is the name Uh, of the company about the world yeah in this case it's not a press sandwich book that's funny that would be yummy i thought it was designed yeah uh, no it's just like i'll link it to the show notes because they also do it for the women's world cop and it's really fun it's but unfortunately very costly as i'm saying so the commodification speeding up the friendlies are speeding up Human rights violations speeding. And also, Brenda wants you to know that if you have uh, cards to trade for her Panini book, she's uh, looking. Yeah. But Brenda, no. Yeah, I I am. I am. And it could be a Patreon giveaway, my Panini book. (laughs) I can. If I get it all filled. Yeah. If I get it all filled up for those of you who have been so wonderfully supportive, I will. I will dish it out. Dang. All right. Now for everybody's favorite segment. Let's go over some of the things that have really gotten our goats this week on the burn pile. Amira. Yeah, so I am burning Bailey Davis. I'm not burning Bailey Davis. Bailey Davis is who I'm talking about. Uh, (laughs) Bailey Davis was a cheerleader for the New Orleans Saints, um, and she is filing a discrimination case against the NFL. And I'm burning the contents of the case. She's uh, basically claiming that she got fired because she's held to a different standard as a cheerleader. She posted a picture on her Instagram in a one-piece bathing suit, and it was a public picture, and that was in violation of the many, 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 many rules that guide the work of NFL cheerleaders. And she's filing the case to say that she's an NFL employee, and the rules about cheerleaders and fraternization with players disproportionately affect them. And so just an example of some of the rules that she up against and that she's highlighting. The cheerleaders must block players from following them on all forms of social media. They cannot post pictures of themselves in any gear, in Saints gear whatsoever, meaning they can't market themselves as a Saints cheerleader because they can't wear the gear outside of an wow. official picture. Wow. The thing that most irritated me was that they can't dine in the same restaurant as a player or speak to them in any detail besides from saying hi or good game. So, but this restaurant rule in particular, if the Saints cheerleader enters a restaurant and sees that a player is already there, they have to leave. But if they're in the restaurant first and a player comes in, they still have to leave. What? Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Now, 
This case is built on the rule book and private text messages and emails with the Saints organization, but we know that many teams follow very similar rules. If anybody's watched making of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, you'll notice that a lot of these same kind of rules about fraternization and about body image are widespread across the league. And so she's following a discrimination case with the EEOC, essentially saying, you know, there's I get paid $10 an hour, and but we're still league employees and we're being held to a different standard because we're penalized for all these things. And yet players can fraternize with us. They can create burner accounts and talk to us. If they're in a restaurant with us and they don't leave, there's absolutely no penalization levied on them. And in particular, there's this idea that the league says that all of these rules are happening to protect the women. So there's this idea oh. that these, these rules are in protection of cheerleaders to protect them from the big scary football players and essentially what they're saying that no there should be uniform rules so if the fraternization policies can hurt us and we can get in trouble then it should go both ways like we don't need your protection you're actually just limiting our labor options and you're putting more rules on us and this is a long history of policing women's bodies and policing their actions under the guise of their quote-unquote protection so i'm just leaving you with this one quote from her because she's you only can be a cheerleader for four years and she's not going to be able to continue on the team but she still filed the case because she wanted to help other cheerleaders. And she says, I'm doing this for them so they can do what they love and feel protected and empowered and be a female athlete and not pushed to the side and feel unimportant. So I want to stand in solidarity with Bailey Davis, no relation, and burn down <laughs> these awful double standard fraternization rules that the NFL cheerleaders are subjected to. Burn it. Burn. 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 Jessica, on that note. Yeah, I have a different cheerleader burn. So the New York Post ran a piece this week about how the Los Angeles Rams are going to have two men on their cheerleading squad this year. And so the Baltimore, just so no one's confused, the Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts do have men on their cheerleading teams, but they're technically stunt men. They don't actually dance alongside the women. This will change with the Rams. But to be clear, they have a lot of cheerleaders. So these two men are on the squad along with 74 women. Right. So there's there's a lot of them and there two of them are now men. So, of course, the idea that there are any men dancing alongside female cheerleaders is upsetting to the homophobic men amongst us, which is a lot of men, if we're going to be honest, because the truth is that NFL cheerleading for a lot of this is about titillation as much as it is about creating enthusiasm, you know, in the stadium. And so what does that mean then if men are doing those titillating dances as well? So I'm here today to burn the reactions to the news that these two men are going to be cheerleaders. And I specifically want to call out, but not by name, because that's too much for him. I want to call out the former chief of staff and campaign manager to U.S. Senate leader Mitch McConnell. This guy, he tweeted, quote, it's like the NFL brass sits around and brainstorms ways to alienate its fan base. Kneeling didn't quite get it done, guys. Let's get some male cheerleaders out there that they'll hate that. Ah, what a fun mixture of racism, sexism, and homophobia all rolled into one, though it did make me pause to imagine what NFL fan culture could be like without the fans who are alienated by social and racial justice and and those who are opposed to smashing rigid gender ideas. That could be very nice. But still, I want to burn this typical, predictable, and sad response to the news that these two men will be cheerleading for the LA Rams this year. Burn. 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 Yeah, this is a slightly more narrow-focused <laughs> burn, but I just would like to burn Joel Embiid's facial contusion that he had to have surgery on mm. this week. Okay, I, I am not a Philadelphia sports fan in general, but I have just fallen in love with the Philadelphia 76ers main, this season, mainly because of Joel Embiid, because he is just so much fun to watch. And here they are. They're going into the playoffs. Finally, after this long saga of the number one pick in the draft, Markel Fultz completely losing his shot in bizarre fashion. Nobody knew exactly what happened. He was on the bench for most of the year. He came back last week and looked pretty good. Like he looked like he showed these signs of, wow, you were adding a dimension to this team. This is why you were the number one overall draft pick. This, this could be an exciting extra weapon to add to this team for the playoffs. Could this team make a run? 
And then in the second game that Fultz was back, he goes and just in a freak accident, his shoulder collides with Joel Embiid's face. And Embiid goes down and he had to have surgery this week for the orbital bone on his face. And he, nobody knows when he's going to be back. They're thinking maybe the second round of the playoffs, but nobody's really sure. And he'll definitely have a facial mask on. And it just like bubble wrap. Can we just like have these guys be healthy? I love the <laughs> NBA playoffs. I want to see all the teams at, at full strength, especially a team that's been a snake bitten by injuries as a 76ers. We need these young, exciting players in the NBA to really help, you know, keep, keep things exciting and keep things going. So burn freak accidents and injuries that are going to ruin the quality of the playoffs. Burn. Burn. Okay, finally revisiting the giant burn flame. How do you say something so atomic flames of Michigan State University and its ongoing inability to reckon, make reparations, reconciliation with, with anybody decent uh, following the Larry Nasser cases? We learned this week from the Lansing State Journal that Michigan State University spent over $500,000 of public money, yes, that's yours and mine, just in December, January, to monitor social media activity and public perception during the lead-up and trial, the lead-up to and trial of Larry Nasser. The screenshots, if you haven't seen them, we'll post to show notes, show intense email communications and the types of strategies that MSU had to deal with this, and it... it, it if you think of like the evilest way possible, it would be that. Basically, they're they're celebrating when blame gets put on USA Gymnastics instead of themselves. They're looking wow. for ways to spin it that way. And it's very obvious from the communication that they have with the public relations firm Weber Shanwick in New York. Uh, the, the firm responded to a lot of criticism saying they were not hired to monitor victims' social media, but that's exactly what they were hired to do. And if you read the emails, it's very obvious. And in response to criticism of their actions and of the field of PR in, it, in itself, places like PR News said, instead of you know talking about ethics in public relations and things like that, they wanted to remind everyone in the profession that any communication with clients can end up in journalists' hands. Yeah, don't email. That was that was the lesson from this. <laughs> yeah. So 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 don't you know question the fact that you're monitoring victims of sexual assault and violence. <laughs> Just make sure you're more secretive about wanting to monitor and twist stories. So shame on you, Michigan State. Shame on you to public relations firms. And shame on everybody working there for not having any decency or ethics or values. At least, I mean, people working there that make decisions, obviously. There's plenty of people at MSU and I'm sure at this PR firm that aren't like that. But the decision-making people have shown themselves to be shameful. So I want to burn it, uh, burn the spin, and burn the investment of public money in monitoring victims. Burn. 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 Okay, and now like solve on our burns, we are going to celebrate some of the wonderful accomplishments of women this week. So honorable mentions for Badass Women of the Week include University of South Carolina's Aja Wilson, who won the Wade Trophy for her wonderful season this year in women's basketball. Hockey player Sarah Small, who posted pics of herself nursing between periods of ice hockey to help normalize breastfeeding. Very brave, very wonderful. LaChina Robinson, former guest on Burn It All Down, is the recipient of the 2018 Dawn Staley Excellence in Broadcasting Award. Adnisha Curry, named assistant coach for Maine men's basketball team. That makes her only the, the only woman currently holding a full-time position as an assistant coach for a men's NCAA Division I basketball team. And Sloane Stevens, who won the second biggest title of her career this weekend in Miami, where she defeated French Open champion Jelena Ostapenko in the final. Can I get a drum roll this week? That was a good one. That's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
The badass women of the week this week. Notre Dame's women head basketball coach Ann O'Brien, better known as Muffet McGraw, was named the AP Coach of the Year. And we'd also like to include with the Badass Women of the Week award this week, her fighting Irish team who overcame UConn in a tremendous performance in overtime. Throughout the season, the team seemed plagued by injuries. And at one point, McGraw's interview was really touching. She said, quote, I just don't know why this keeps happening to us. End of quote. And here they are in the finals. So best of luck and congratulations. Finally, what's good for our week? Amira. Oh, yay. What's happening in your world? Well, this is a big week. Yeah, this is a big week for us and for me. Um, We are welcoming to campus gold medalist Tommy Smith, who you may know from the iconic picture of his protest at the 1968 Olympic Games, along with Giancarlo, as well as Wyoming Tyus, who is a two-time gold medal, well, multiple-time gold medalist, two-time Olympian, who also protested in her own way in 1968, and Dr. Harry Edwards, who is the architect of the proposed boycott in 68 and um, the godfather of sociology of sport. All three of them will be coming here to Penn State. They get in tomorrow, and I'm hosting a conversation conversation with them on Tuesday that is going to reflect on 1968 and the Olympics, but also talk about the renaissance of athletic activism and share their stories. So I'm really excited to be joining them in conversation and to have them here and to have time with Wyoming, who I write about a lot in my book. So any time with her is really exciting time. Um, anytime you're doing history and the people you're writing about are going to come sit in your office and get tea with you and, and hang out with you for three days. It's like a really, really exuberant time. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm really, really overjoyed. And that's what's my something good. Oh, oh, oh. And I got my big girl luggage and it's amazing as I thought it would be. Yeah. My luggage came and it's- It's as good as you thought. It's it's everything you hoped for. Come on. You have to remember this stuff. It's super important. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing, actually. And now I want more and more and more of it. Nice. Speaking of luggage, that's just a perfect segue into what's good in my week this week. I went to Uruguay yesterday. I'm going to Ireland tomorrow, and I'm in wow. Argentina today. I know. I, know. I feel traveler. like such a jet setter. I know. My career is never going to reap uh, huge financial rewards, but in terms of interesting places I get to go, it definitely does. And my kids, my partner, Kike, they're just they're just such troopers. They, I trek them all around Colonia del Sacramento yesterday in Uruguay, and now I'm like, okay, back to Argentina. And, you know, people, my family's been up for it. And I just feel really lucky that I get to do it. So I'm looking forward to a conference in Belfast this week. Jessica? Wow. How fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mine is really tiny. Mine's really small compared to those things, but that's all right. So in my family, we've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And for my kid, it's the first time he's watched it. But the show has been like really important to me my entire life. It first aired when I was like eight years old. And... I it's really fun to see it again, especially alongside my kid. But what I have really enjoyed about it this time more than any other time is counselor Deanna Troy. Like she's a real MVP of Star Trek Next Generation. And I have loved watching her in this moment. She's so empathetic. She's always the one pushing everyone around her to be more open minded. And she's bravely honest. And I have just she also saves their asses a lot because of these qualities that she has. So it's just been really fun to watch her and that character as an adult and a a woman and rethinking like what I've thought about her in the past and seeing how great she is in this show. So that's been good in my world. Oh, I love that. Nice. Me too. I had that with Little House on the Prairie (laughs) and my kids. (laughs) Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit outside me, but I just look, I'm just still buzzing from those final four games on Friday night. And I've just been thinking about how much I love women's sports and the people who cover women's sports. So I just want to give a little shout out to a couple of places that I think that we should all really support. And especially if you're a fan of Burn It All Down, you might think about supporting these places. So one is a Title IX newsletter, which uh, Howard Megdal, who is a uh, friend of the show, has started. And what it is, is every week you will get on different days, I think it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you will get digest of what is going on in women's hockey one day, women's soccer another day, and women's basketball another day. Howard does one of the newsletters. He does the basketball. 
He has a soccer reporter from the AP who is fabulous, who does the soccer one. And then Eric Ayala, who I interviewed this week about the – she was in our Patreon-only segment about the Final Four. She's in charge of the hockey. And it's just such a great way to keep up with women's sports if you don't have the time to watch everything and to pay attention to everything. So I just really want to shout out that project. And also Equalizer Soccer, who does some of the best reporting and coverage on women's soccer ever of anyone they are starting a subscription model and it's very the prices are very oh. reasonable and they really want to kind of step up their game ahead of the 2019 world cup and so that's if you're a soccer fan really consider supporting that as well and we'll tweet out that link and I, again i just want to thank our patreons and you know keep giving us feedback because a lot of times with our recording schedule one of the most frustrating things for us is that we can't react as quickly or in, as in time to the big sporting events, because we usually record on Sunday mornings, and they don't come out until Tuesday. So it's hard to time things perfectly. So one of the things we're hoping to do more of, if you guys like it is having more segments on our Patreon page that really are just reacting to the big news in sports with other women who are covering these sports stories or participating in them. So let us know if you like that and just continue to support these people who are covering women's sports and who are giving it the time and attention it deserves. Yay. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Linz. That yeah. was, that was, I don't even have to do the patron thing at yeah. the end because that's exactly the type of thing I wanted to say. Yeah. Our ongoing, like, ever, ever appreciation to that, to our community and all the suggestions and feedback. So that's it for this week in Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, but can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. As Lindsay said, we appreciate your reviews and feedback. So please subscribe and rate to let us know what we did well. Also, how we can prove anything you'd really like to hear about, hear us discuss. You can find us on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It All Down Pod, on Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod. And you can email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com. There we've got previous episodes, transcripts, links to the Patreon, you know, show notes and things that we mentioned. We try to put links up there. So we would really appreciate, again, you subscribing, sharing, and rating our show. And it helps us just keep doing the work that we do even better than we're able to already do it. We hope you have an awesome week on behalf of Amira, Lindsay, and Jessica, I'm Brenda. Keep burning. And I'm so-